So Psalm 63, 1 through 11. Let's read that together this morning. A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wing, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be apportioned for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Let us pray together this morning in in response to this word. Lord God, we come before you. Lord, we pray that you would uh, continue to speak to us, your people, through this word, this living and active word. Because it is living, because it is active, Lord, because you accomplish great things through it, we pray that you would help us to remove ourselves from it. Help the pastor, the preacher, to speak only what is before us. Less of us, O God, more of you. We love you, we thank you, we cherish these words this morning from the text of Scripture. Be with us now as we look at those and Stew in them for this morning specifically. It is in your name we pray, Christ Jesus, for your glory, for our joy and the good of a watching world. Amen. Amen. And you may be seated this morning. Well, this morning, I'll go ahead and this is, this is, this is uh, the way of introduction. The way of introduction is that the title of this morning's sermon is Drawing Near to God. Drawing Near to God. Now, for many of you, I don't know where you guys are over the course of summer, I am absolutely like ready, like jazzed out of my mind for fall. Like if you're like, oh, we love the sun and we love summer and we love sweating and we love, listen, I love all that too. Like Like I like being outdoors, I like doing these things. But there's something about in fall, specifically as a church, as a pastor, when people kind of, um, you know, as a church and people, we all have schedules in the summer, right? Everybody's here, everybody's there. At least in the fall, things kind of come back together, and there's some little, there's some little bit of uh, uh, things that we're accustomed to, and it kind of we can we can do that a little better, we can plan a little better. As a pastor of the church, I know Scott and I, we talk about this. We look at the calendar, we're like, man, we cannot wait for fall. In the midst of all that, I want to say something. I want to make a confession. I am one of those people, I have a hard time preaching something that I don't do very well. Or I have a hard time preaching something. Um, that I, I just, that's just something, you can say a lot of things about me. You can say a lot of things about me. But one of the things I try not to be is fake. I try not to be fake. Now you could say that me not being fake offends you. That's okay. People can say that. But I try not to be fake. So let me tell you something real quick. We're getting ready to look at a sermon and a text. And the title is Drawing Near to God. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, just listen to the pastor. 
I will be the, I'll be exhibit number one. How many of you, maybe over the course of summer, maybe in your walk with Christ, wherever you are in your season of life, how many of you are tired, you feel a little bit dry and withery, and even in your walk with Christ or in your relationship with him? Don't, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to do that, okay? It's just a rhetorical question. It's just something to think about. I come to this text this morning, and I go, man, I feel a little like David here. I feel a little bit personally as if though I need to pay attention to what Pastor, Pastor Kyle needs to listen to what Pastor Kyle is preaching. You understand what I'm saying? Someone once said, before you can make a sermon, allow the sermon to make a man. Or before you make a sermon out of the text, let the text make a man. In other words, I need to physically and personally take ownership of this and say, Kyle, listen. Now, I won't listen to myself online again because I'll just criticize myself. And by the way, I'm the, I, there, there's a preacher out there that I can't stand to listen to, and his name is Kyle Schiff. I watch, I watch myself, hey, watch this thing, watch this thing, and I watch myself online, and I cringe the whole time. I'm like, ugh, my, my voice is too high. I just, I got that wrong. I wish I could have done that better, all right? This morning, Psalm 63, 1 through 5, is a beautiful text for me personally, and I hope it is for you this morning where you sit. It should be. It's God's word. Before I go into all of that this morning, let me give you a bit of a background and a little bit of context to Psalm 63. Now, if you look with me in Psalm 63, you see something uh, there in uh, uh, verse 9, 63, 9. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. This is a Psalm of David, as it were at the beginning. It says it right there at the front, before you get into verse 1, a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now, what you need to know is this, is this is a situation where David is in a moment where someone is seeking to kill him, someone is seeking to discredit him and do away with him. And some may remember the picture. If you remember the Old Testament with David, Saul, the king, king Saul, chasing David into the wilderness, trying to kill him. We see that in the psalm and the history of David. We know that. In 1st 2nd Samuel. However, this is not during that time frame. This psalm that we're going to look at this morning, what I'm trying to say is, it's not in the moment where Saul, is the king of Israel, is seeking to kill the Lord's anointed, the one who will come the, become the king of Israel. This is not the moment. You're saying, well, how many moments has Saul, uh, Paul had? I mean, uh, 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 excuse me, uh, King David. Have I been saying Paul the whole time? Good, thank you for correcting me. I was looking over at you, Ed. He's like, okay, you're good. Okay, I'm good. Uh, David, I don't want y'all to get confused. Like, this guy, where is he at? David, David, how many times have he been in this situation? More than once. This is a situation, and it is more likely that this is during the time frame when David was already the king, and someone had made David a fugitive within his own kingdom. Let me tell you how disparaging this is for David. This psalm is more than likely a psalm that he wrote after his son, Absalom, sought to take his dad's throne and chased his own father out of Israel and threatened his life. This is some pretty dark days for David. We see this in uh, 2 Samuel 15, 23. 2 Samuel 15, 23. And it says there, 
And all, and, and by the way, uh, 15, it starts the ch- chapter heading there in 2 Samuel, it was Absalom's conspiracy. Absalom whispering things and doing things in order to discredit his father and take over his kingdom and his throne. And it says there in verse 23, or excuse me, in verse, uh, I start with 20, well, I'll do 22. And David said to Ittiah, go then, pass on. So Ittiah, the Gittite, Pass on with his men and all the little ones who were with him. And look at this in verse 23. And all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by. And the king crossed the brook Kidron. And all the people passed on toward the wilderness. David is leaving Israel. The king, God's man, who was going to be sitting on the throne. And literally it says that as he's being kicked out of his own kingdom. The people of Israel wept aloud as they watched the king pass on into the wilderness. It is more than likely that Psalm 63 is in context to this event. So here we see King David in the wilderness, and it is in this hostile environment of the desert, in utter earthly loneliness and despair, that we have this wonderful passage given to us today. And again... In, as we, be, we open up this text, look with me once again. King David starts this psalm the way that we looked at two weeks ago when I preached uh, the, the mighty fortress is our God. It starts, oh God, you are my God. It starts in the best way possible. It starts once again with God being the theme of the psalm. David's words here are of utmost importance, church. They communicate plainly to us that seeking and thirsting for God is not seeking and, th- and the seeking and the thirsting of a man who is unacquainted with God. This is not a picture, as we look at it this morning, of a man who's groping and ch- trying to find something that he has never in his life seen. It is not something he's trying to grab to taste as if he's never tasted it. This is, this is someone who is knowledgeable and knows what he has seen. He knows what he has tasted and he is longing to see and he is longing to taste it again. This cry is from the lips of David as a cry that flows from the lips of one who has relationship with God. David has tasted and he has seen and what he has tasted and what David has seen with his eyes is good and what is good is God. Here's a question. Are you like David this morning? Have you found yourself in a season of wilderness walking, maybe in your own personal walk with Christ? At some point in your life, if you hadn't already, you probably more than likely will. It's the, it's the, it's the nature of things, the human condition. Isn't heaven going to be beautiful? We sung that song a second ago, and what did it say? That we will sin no more. We will sin no more. I hate sin. Do you hate sin? I hate it so much that I hate it when I see it in myself, which oftentimes I see in myself probably faster and quicker than I see it in some of you. There's going to be a day when this flesh, this man, will have no more war with sin because sin will be dealt with, and I will sin no more. Amen, amen, and amen. Are you tired? Are you thirsty and in need of the sustenance that can only be found in God, church? I pray this morning... You can declare upon your own lips, as David has done in this psalm, God, you are my God. 
For hope can only be found in those who know Christ, or better yet, those who are known by Christ. This morning, our passage once again points us to the theme of praise and the theme of worship. And from Psalm 63, this morning's text, we see at least two forms in which our worship to God is established. If you're taking notes, those are this. Number one, thirsting in God. The form of that worship takes on two forms in our text this morning. Number one is thirsting for God. Number two is feasting slash singing. I put those two together, you'll see why in just a second. One is thirsting after God, and number two is feasting and singing. So this morning, let us look at the first one first. That makes sense, right? I'm really good at math. The first one first. So the first one is thirsting after God. First is thirsting after God. We have verse one. It should be on the screen if you don't have that before you. And it says there once again in verse one. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The first thing I want you to look at this morning is the word earnestly. Earnestly. Earnestly is a primitive root. It's probably, and actually I think uh, you can, we can use this version if you want, but I also have in my PowerPoint the actual uh, text there. And it says, uh, earnestly is the primitive root. It means this, to dawn, to dawn. Figuratively, it, it means to be up early at any task. So, so earnestly means at dawn, it, it, it's the idea, earnest is I wake up and I'm going to tell my day what it's going to do. It's, it's to wake up and say, I'm waking up and I'm going to be in expectation of doing something. Instead of waking up and saying, well, hope my day happens. Or waking up and going, I hope good things happen today. Or I'm going to tackle some things. I just don't know what the things are. Earnestly has in mind something in action, something that's being done this is, this is not a relationship to God, by the way, in this text. This is not a relationship with God built on chance. As in, we say things like, I hope something finds me. David says, earnestly I seek you, which means David earnestly seeks after God. It implies action. It implies expectancy. You see, a relationship that pleases God is one that is proactive in knowing him. A relationship that pleases God is the one that is from us proactive in knowing God. That means we do something in the scheme of things. See, while God has come the whole distance, listen to me really quickly, while God as has come the entirety of the distance that is needed for the chasm between us and him, in our salvation, he has gone to the cross uh, first and foremost, he was born as a virgin, as a child in the flesh. God incarnate becomes Emmanuel. God is with us. We celebrate it every Christmas. He stepped down farther than any king has ever stepped down. He, he threw his crown down farther than any man has ever thrown his crown. He allowed his robes to be exchanged more than any earthly king has ever and accepted the form of man that we are. It's the lowliest of the lowly of the lowly. 
He has done this. He has gone to the cross. The resurrection is in Christ and our, the Spirit, the Spirit of God that is sent for us to understand our need of Jesus. This is all of God. There should be understood that relationship and worship of God should always be seen as the pursuit of action of man as well on top of what God has already done. But let me tell you what I mean by this. It's a worship. It's a going after God. It's a seeking to grasp him, not as a means to his blessing, but because he has already blessed and it is now a response to us in what he has done. That is what worship is. Worship is a response to what God is, who he is in his character and nature, what he has done. Worship is a response to who he is. Worship is not what we do in order to make him what he need be. God has not allowed himself to be used or abused, I would even say, in that way by the hands of man. And this is our response. As a response, not as a means of salvation, but because we have found salvation. Look with me what it says in the text. Earnestly I seek you, earnestly, intentionally, purposefully. I go out, I look, I, I, I seek to find God. Look what it says though. My soul, my soul thirsts for you. And then I'll tell you the other one. It's my flesh faints for you. Look at the second. First, let us look at my soul thirsts for you. When you see soul, I want you to always think, and you should, uh, you should think inwardly. You should think spiritually speaking. David says, my soul, the inward part of who I am, my soul thirst, I spiritually thirst for more of you, O oh God. Literally, it means to suffer, to suffer thirst. It's, it means to agonize for God. David's saying, I am a miserable, I am in a miserable state apart from God, as we would say uh, for us in Christ. Without Christ, we all of us would be in a miserable state apart from him as believers. By way of illustration, I love the story about the young man who went to the preacher searching for God. After much talk, the preacher was not having much success with the young man. Finally, he thought and he took the young man down by the river's edge. He went out into the water and he said to the young man, why don't you come and be with me in the water? The young man gets into the water. He walks to the preacher. The preacher said, give me your head. And he took his hands and he dunked the guy down in the water, the young man. Now the young man is under the water for a time and he's thinking to himself, what the world is going on? Right? I didn't ask to be baptized. Hey, by the way, maybe I've already been baptized. What is this guy doing? Chilling for a while, but then something starts to happen. How many of you have ever been under the water for a long period of time? All right? What starts to happen when you are under the water for a long period of time? Yeah, how many of you have ever done that thing where, like, your kids, I'm still a kid, so I still do it, where I'm like, I can stay under the water longer than you can, and we, like, sit there, and we're going to try to outdo each other in holding our breath. Have you ever done that in the pool? Has any of y'all ever passed out doing that? I haven't either, but I'm just saying. I know some people are like, I'm going to win, and they do, they do win. Some, sometimes they win too much. They, they, the first to heaven, right? They win, right? Ah, to, to, to die is gain, right? What happens? I know that when I used to go, I do that with my kids sometimes. We're in the pool, and there's a point where I just want to show off, and then something starts to happen. And you're thinking about doing it, and you go back down. This young man is under the water. At first, he's calm. He's like, what the world is this guy doing? 
as he begins to need air, he begins to grab the legs of this man. All reverence goes out of him. He, 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 he's undignified, so to speak. He begins to grab and kind of claw. If he could bite the leg of the pastor, let him up, he would do so because he is so desperate for air. And just as the man is about to pass out, the pastor lets him up. And you know what happens when that water uh, hits that nostril? <gasps> and all of it comes in. He starts to cough. He says, Pastor, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why did you do this? The preacher asked, son, when you were under the water, what did you want more than anything else? The young man said, air, sir, I needed air. The preacher said, son, when you want God as bad as you need your next breath of air, you will find him and he will satisfy. Church, do you need God like a drowning man needs air? Stop to ask yourself the question, have you longed for God? Have you thirsted for God in such a way, in such desperation, that you would do anything you could do if you could just have more of him? Like a drowning man needs air. Do you want God like this? Do you desire God like this? I pray we all get to a place where our thirst for God is strong. Listen, seeking is always needing And needing is always pleasing to God. I'll say that one more time. Some little little, rhymers in there, and you want to make sure you get that. Seeking is needing. And needing is always pleasing to God. Seek him, and he shall be found. Seek Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. All these things shall be added unto you, as it says in Scripture. We see this as the soul that is desperate for God, a a soul that, that literally says that it thirsts for God. But this morning, also, there's something else in the text here. It says our flesh faints. So if the soul is inwardly, it's spiritual, the flesh is outward, it's what you see. I don't always get to see uh, your soul. I mean, I can see slivers of who you are, you see your character, your nature, you know, it's hard. But this is something that's a little bit more tangible, not, not always, not always. That's why I always say be careful the way you judge others around you because of their outward expressions. You know, like we are singing a second ago. There's some people who want to jump out of their skin. There is a fountain filled with blood. It flows from Emmanuel's veins. You're like, you want to go? And there's somebody out there that's going. Right? Well, they don't love God. They're not really excited. You don't know what's going on out there. You don't know what's going on in there. But there is something that I want you to understand when you see this. When David uses it, he says, my flesh, it, 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 it thirsts for you. My soul, excuse me, my soul thirsts. And then he says, my flesh, this is the outward, it faints. It's the outward expression, our bodies, of the same spiritual inward truth. What that means is that our soul should be affected uh, like that illustration of the air for God. That, that, that is something that you, is tangible. And, and in the flesh, it means that we are affected. We are affected. Listen, thirsting and fainting are forms of worship. Listen to what I'm about to say. Fainting and thirsting are forms of worship when God is distant. Yes, fainting and thirsting are forms of worship when God is distant. Look what it says in the text. As in a day, excuse me, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Again, the idea is one of searching. 
The question is, does the world see us in such a way as a people or as a church? For every one of us that came into this room this morning, it should be the desire and the hope of the testimony of our uh, uh, discipleship in Christ and who we are as disciples of Jesus for the world to constantly see us desiring more of God. They should literally be seeing us desiring to drink from that well. That we, in our dryness, in our crustiness, whatever it may be, what we desire, we don't grope as someone who does not know. We desire something that we do know. And that is more of God. Fainting. As we're going to dry up if we don't, the world should see the church in such a fashion and form. I remember when I was in uh, Honduras, and I was on a mission trip there. I took a, a, a group of young men that were down there that I was discipling, and um, a couple adults went with us as well. One particular adult, I remember we were sitting around a campfire one night, and we got talking about heaven. And I remember this person whom I love very dearly. I, I asked the question. I, I was listening to the spiritual conversation, and something just said, I, I got I to get to the brass tack of this situation. So I asked him, I said, hey, let me ask you a question. Let's say that when we die, or excuse me, let's put it this way. Don't, please don't write down Kyle said heresy because I didn't mean this. I just wanted to use it to springboard off of something, okay? So don't put this in quotations. I'll get in trouble for this online, right? I said, let's pretend. Pretend is the key word here. Let's pretend that when everyone dies, there is no hell. There is no, it's just heaven and everybody goes there. Everybody just goes to heaven when they die. Kyle Schiff did not say, okay, but I said it then. My question to this individual was, would you still love God? Would you still serve him and live for his glory that at the end of the day, that all of us actually go there together? This person was very honest and sit there and thought about it. I was like, I mean, I'd like to think I would, but. I mean, probably not. Okay, that's just a sliver of the answer. Second question. Okay, so then when you got there, when you got to heaven, and when you got there, everything was there. Heaven was everything you thought heaven could be. In other words, if you, if you, if you, if you deal with uh, you know, weight issues and you really like chocolate cake and you've always eaten chocolate cake and you've blown up, when you get to heaven, you can eat cake and you don't get fat. For me, there's even hunting in heaven. And every buck is a 16-pointer, right? It, it, listen, whatever it is in you in this room and whatever heaven is for you, just think it and go, well, if I said that is heaven, but the only downfall is, the only catch is that when you get there, Jesus Christ is not there. How would that make you feel? The honesty of the answer flowed. Well, I really hope Jesus, I want to see Jesus. I'd love for him to be there. But he said, his answer was, it still sounds like heaven to me. If any one of us have learned who Christ is in the gospel of Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us in that message of that gospel and we get to heaven and Jesus Christ is not there, it is the biggest letdown in human history. I long to see Jesus. Store for yourselves up treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy where thieves cannot break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will also be. Jesus Christ is the treasure. God is the gospel. That is the good news of each believer's soul. That's what we must be seen as longing for and fainting over because we need more of God. We have many people in Christianity that live this way even now. God is the gospel. He is the ultimate reward. All of heaven points to this reality, eternally praising him without interruption. And listen, we will get to heaven and we will worship him without any sense of boredom. Amen? 
Pastor Kyle is going long today. I wish you'd sit down. Not in heaven. I'm not saying I'm going to be preaching to heaven. I probably won't be. You're not going to be listening to my sermons. But there is no boredom there. This is but a sliver, and it's a dim sliver at that of what heaven will be. A.W. Tozer had said this. I'm not sure if the PowerPoints are working. If they are, it's there. If not, I'm reading it anyway. It's, it says this. A.W. Tozer said this about this. Oh, God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh, God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. Listen to this. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. I read that quote and I thought to myself from A.W. Tozer, wow. The desire of my soul is to be made thirsty, to thirst, to be, to, to thirst for more thirstiness for God. If that isn't a picture of the fallenness of human suffering this side of heaven and the greatness of God in heaven I don't know what else is may we in this room as Christian men and women who have a song to sing may we thirst for more of thirstiness of God Psalm 73 25-26 the psalmist seems to suggest the exact same thing in our text this morning from Psalm A.W. Tozer has said it listen to what the psalmist says Psalm 73 25-26 one of my favorite psalms in the Bible whom have I in heaven but you And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, and he is my portion, my piece of the pie forever, and it is good. Number two, thirsting after God. We see also feasting and singing. What I want you to know is when you think of feasting and singing, I want you to think of merriment. I want you to think of celebration. Look with me in verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Listen, feasting and singing is the form of worship when God is near. If fainting and thirsting is the form of worship of his people when God is far, feasting and singing is the worship of his people when God is near. Is your heart satisfied with him and he alone this morning? I think of food. I think of food too much recently. My wife has been telling me since I turned 40, food's doing something different to my body. I have a different relationship with food. I still love her. She's not loving me back as much as she used to. But I think of food, and I think that, that deliciousness, that, that idea of taking, if you, if, you, if you make some food, you cook something, and I, I don't know, if we do like the old, we're, you know, the Southern Baptist thing, we make some potluck, you know what I'm saying, and you make something you want everybody to know you made, or you want people to enjoy, what, what you do, you make it, because the hope is that someone will come up to you and not go, you, your hope isn't to make that and go, right? The, the idea, the delicious nature of the food in which you made, what do you want to see? The full deliciousness and the making it known that is delicious. Getting someone to taste your food, and then you always want to watch their response. I, I don't know about you, I'm a, I'm a people watcher. Some people say words, and I listen to words. Words are important to me, but I read people's body language more than, that's just me, I'm more of that kind of guy. So I hear the words, but I also watch how it's matched up in their personality. When someone says, 
Mm, this is good. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, did, I, saw, I heard a lot. That I, I heard a lot there. When you see them take a bite and put it down and not give any, not take another bite, that tells you a lot. If you see somebody took a bite of the burger or whatever you made you cook and they don't really want to share it with anyone else, you have concern. You watch to see someone go, mmm, mmm, and you see the eyes rolling the back of their head the way I do with some big juicy burgers. And you want to hear the mmm, 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 mmm. And you want to hear someone go, can I have a second helping of that, by the way? Let me have more of that, please. And you want to see them go, hey, so some stranger, someone, have you tried this yet? You got to go over and get you some of that. That, when you make some, that's what you're looking for in people. That's the response that you want to see. This is what's before us. It's feasting and singing. It's merriment and celebration. The picture here is, brothers and sisters, the essence of true worship this morning is not simply or primarily the expression of gratitude and thanks for God's blessing and gifts to us, which are a part of it, and it is uh, important for sure. However, true worship flows from hearts that find God himself as the only true desire and only satisfying object of our souls. The question is, will an outside world out there, maybe even the church at times, see us individually in here as a people delighting in God in such a manner, singing the praise of God's goodness? Mm, mm, mm. Can I have another? By the way, I've got to invite some more people to eat this. It's good. Is that what they see? There's something I like to call circumstantial, what do I used to call it? I don't even have it in my notes. I forgot what to call it. Circumstantial uh, desire, I think is what I put. I just pulled out my wallet, and y'all notice it's the leather one, right? It's not my Velcro uh, camo one. I miss you, Velcro wallet. And I'm going to show you something. I'm going to use Keith because Keith's right here in the front, and he laughed at my last joke, so I'm going to use him. So, um, Keith, this morning, you're sitting in church. You're here right now. All right, so I got something I can offer Keith. Keith, I can give you this morning in front of everybody, I can give you this bottle of water, right? I can give you this bottle of water, or I can give you the money that's in my wallet, right? Man, I wish this was hundreds. These are 20s, and if you think I'm a rich man, it's not. This is going to my kids' food for camp. That's how poor, that's how this. So maybe, let's see what you pick. This is an illustration, and not a good one because you don't actually get to keep anything, all right? So this morning, I will give you all the money that's in my wallet. Let's pretend like those are $100 bills, and let's pretend like there's like 100 of them in my wallet, the fat wallet. I can give you all the money in my wallet, or I can give you this water this morning in front of the presence of all. Brother, which do you pick? You're going with the money. Why? You have water there? Okay. It's good water. It's probably better than your water. All right? It's purified, it says. Okay. All right. Let me do the question again. You have no water. You're in the desert. You've been there for three days. If anybody knows anything about water and what your need, your body's need, you can die within three days of not having water. You have a long way to go. Brother, you are in desperate straits. I walk up to you in the middle of the desert and I say, hey, bro, I can give you all the money in my wallet or I give you my bottle of water. Which one do you choose? Water, why? Because you'll die without it. Circumstantial desire. You pick what you think that your circumstance deems necessary. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. 
there will be a day when all of us will stand before the almighty holiness and graciousness of God and your circumstance will change apart from Jesus Christ. Your circumstance will change. It's called circumstantial desire. Does the world see that your circumstance needing to be God and him being the satisfaction of your soul, is it seen this side of heaven? Or are we just hoping to get there and let it happen? That's not worship. Worship is the now. It's the experiencing and understanding what we need in Jesus Christ. Your circumstances will change. And by the way, that water is more precious than diamonds. Remember that old song from the 90s? Lord, you are more precious than diamonds. Remember that song? It's true. Does the world know it's true of you as you live in this world, as we do worship corporately together? Isaiah 51, excuse me, Isaiah 55, 1 through 2 says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you will have no, you who have no money, come. Those of you who have no money, come. Buy and eat. How are you buying and eating something that you have no money to buy and eat? Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Who said that he is the bread of life but Jesus Christ? Who says, come to me, all you who are heavily laden, and I will give you rest, and you will find satisfaction for your souls? Jesus. John 6, 35 says, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Who, he who comes to me will never go hungry, and who believes in me will never be thirsty. How many of you are going to buy with your pocketbook anything of that blessing from God? None of you. It's too expensive. And God in Christ Jesus says, come, receive of Jesus Christ. Drink deeply the living water, the bread of life. There's a paradox in Psalm 63. It's that we as Christian men and women disciples, we should always be seen as continually thirsty. Amen? Let us always be seen as continually thirsty and yet for a lost and dying world that thinks that we're absolutely bonkers, we are oftentimes satisfied. Constantly hungry, constantly thirsty, and always full of what Christ has given us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This paradox of the two. Verse three to four says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. You see, hunger and thirst are natural expressions of the basic human desire and need for food and water. You will die without water. You will die without food. One of the clear indicators that something is wrong physically in your lives, brothers and sisters, is when you lose your appetite. If you go, and you know when you're usually are sick, what happens when you're sick? Do you get real hungry? You lose the appetite. Food loses its appeal. In the same, it is the same spiritually. To hunger and thirst for God is at the very root of our being. It's the way that God has made every one of us in our existence. He created us for this. And when there is no hunger for the presence of God, it is an indicator and something that is something very wrong spiritually within us. 
I pray for us to be hungry. I pray for us to be thirsty. Let me, let me quantify it even better than that because I told you I confessed something. I pray that my soul's desire is to thirst and to hunger for more of God and that when I find him and he is able to be found, that my soul is also at the same time satisfied. And yet this side of heaven, I will constantly be hungry and thirsty because I'm not with him in glory. See that? See what happens? Believer, do you hunger and thirst for more of God? Do you communicate with your life and worship, church, that he is the longing of your heart? At the same time, do you communicate that only in Christ are you truly satisfied? Do, you, do, do they see that nothing in your life sets your heart at ease and your mind at rest as much as knowing and having Jesus Christ? Last illustration the one of the young salesmen who disappoint, was disappointed about losing a big sale that he'd been working on. And as he talked with the, his sales manager, he lamented and said this, I guess it just proves you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. The manager's reply was, son, take my advice. Your job is not to make him drink. Your job is to make him thirsty. Listen, we the people of God, we take people, we take people to the water. We can take them to the source of food. That is our responsibility. Why? Because we're not groping. We are earnestly seeking him as we are still alive this side of heaven. We have tasted and we have seen and we have tasted that is good. We have seen what is good. And when we bite into that big juicy thing that we talked about before, you want people to hear you go, mm, mm, mm. You want people to hear you and watch you go, I would love to have another, please. You want the world to look at you and say, look at that guy. He wants everyone to taste that goodness of that food that he's had. This is our worship. This is our response to the goodness of God. And by the way, for the true believer of Christ, the disciple of Christ, this is what feeds our souls. If you're hungry and you're thirsty, maybe it's because we haven't yet tasted deeply of being on mission for God and his glory. It is a glorious task to be involved with. Everybody today wants to be, be a part of something bigger than themselves. Have you considered Jesus Christ and his glory? It is worth it. And it will live a lot longer than anything that we've touched this side of heaven in any other name. We do this all the time. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, we seek to try to make people thirsty for inferior things. And we call it God, or we call it this, or we call it the gospel, call it whatever it may be. We are to point people to the water and we are to point to people to the food. But brothers and sisters, we cannot make them drink any of it. But the question is, have you caused anybody to be thirsty or hungry for more of it? How do you make people more thirsty for God? Teach more about God. How do you make people desire more of his word? Teach more concerning his word. Go deeper. Help people to realize, oh my goodness, I didn't know it could go that deep. I didn't know that taste, that steak tastes that way. I did not know that that thing tastes like this. To me, it's a backstrap from a deer. Our responsibility is to point people to the water and point people, but in our lives, in our worship, in what we preach and teach, we are supposed to help cause their thirst and their hunger. How can they know their need of Jesus Christ if we're not making the need known? If Jesus Christ is merely just a band-aid for your problems, a quick pick-me-up or a little fix for that thing at, at 
in your life, whatever it may be, and we haven't taught the nature of God, His holiness, His righteousness, His just, His wrath, His love, His mercy, how will they understand their desperate need of Him in comparison to what man is in His fallenness, in His sinful nature, in His being an enemy of God, a slave to unrighteousness? If he doesn't understand who God is, if he can't then understand rightly who he is, will he ever understand the beauty and the nature of who Christ is in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Our redemption, our justification, our propitiation, our advocate before the Father. And if we don't understand God, and therefore we can understand man, and therefore we don't understand Christ rightly, will we ever get the response right on what it means to have faith and repentance in God? We are too busy trying to make people hungry and thirsty for inferior things, with inferior things, when all along we have the gospel of Jesus Christ and his word. It's probably best for us to just start getting out of its way. Can the world see us grasping, not as men and women who have not tasted and seen, but men and women who have tasted and seen, seen that God is good. And can they also see us who are feasting and who are singing in merriment because that which we are we so long for and hunger for in Jesus Christ has actually been found. God allows us to thirst that we may ultimately be satisfied. Thirsting can be a great thing if in our thirst we are led to earnestly seek for God. Let this be your spiritual act of worship. I'll say this in closing. Church, I pray that we are constantly the thirsting and starving ones who are constantly satisfied and full in Jesus Christ, who are seen as always thirsting and hungry for more of God and finding our satisfaction in God is full, who constantly thirst. You see what I'm doing with this? I promise you, you get on that path, your, your worship, the side of heaven, will still not even come close to what it will be like when we enter into his presence and glory. This is our worship. This is our response. So this morning, music team, if you want to come on up. Something I'd gotten in a bad habit of doing in the course of Psalm. This morning with all of these things before us, all that we see before us, let us, let us read and take in once again Psalm 63, hopefully with different eyes and a different frame of, uh, frame of reference after we have just preached the text. I'll read to, I'll read all of it. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and your glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand 
upholds me 